This is the Matt Report Podcast, a podcast for WordPress professionals, agencies, freelancers, consultants, users, community members. If you're interested in learning about the business side of WordPress, this is the place to be. If you're interested to have discussions, deep-rooted conversations about the community, where WordPress is going, and the business behind it all, it's mattreport.com. Mattreport.com slash subscribe is the number one way to stay connected. You're listening to Season 5. This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by Gravity Forms. Gravity Forms was the first commercial plugin I ever purchased for my agency, and I've been a loyal customer ever since. When I see the annual renewal charge come through for Gravity Forms, I don't cringe or second-guess keeping it in our toolkit. I'm a proud customer. Gravity Forms is not only a great example of a successful WordPress product, but a product that helps me become successful at what I do. See, it's more than just forms. It's a survey tool. It's an online payment transaction. It's the cornerstone to automated marketing through their Zapier add-on, and the list goes on. If you're looking for a contact form that's more than a contact form, check out Gravity Forms at gravityforms.com. That's gravityforms.com. So you want to take your WordPress plugin and turn it into SaaS. Seems fairly easy. Throw it on a multi-site, add some Gravity Forms registration and uh, a bit of a payment gateway, and you should be off to the races. Well, unfortunately, that's not the case. Luckily, Darren Ethier and Garth Coyle, both from Event Smart and Event Espresso. Now, I guess I should say that Event Espresso, well known as an event calendaring system plugin for WordPress, of course, but they have a SaaS-based component. It's called Event Smart. These two gentlemen join uh, Corey and Sam today to talk about this whole thing of running <laughs> a SaaS-based business on top of WordPress, the ins and outs, shifting from plugin to SaaS, and, and what the technical components look like. This will be a pretty technical show, so sit back, relax, uh, and enjoy. If you're not super technical, uh, you're going to learn something and maybe even spark a thing or two in terms of how you might even think about hiring a professional to do the work for you if you have these grand ideas of spinning up your own SaaS startup. I tell you, this has been a fun season so far. If you've been enjoying it, it's mattreport.com slash subscribe. Leave a five-star review in iTunes. Let's go. This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by Pagely. Pagely, where we help big brands scale WordPress, it's enterprise WordPress hosting in the Amazon cloud. If you're building big, powerful WordPress websites for your clients, you need big, powerful hosting, and Pagely delivers. I use Pagely for my websites and e-commerce shops, so I trust their service, and I have no issues recommending them to you. Look, I only bring on sponsors that I trust. And who else trusts Pagely? Verizon, eBay, Disney, Twitter, and more. You can see that right on the homepage of their website. Pagely is the OG of WordPress managed hosting, and they're innovating the market every single day. If your clients trust you to write scalable code, then trust Pagely to host it for you. Check out pagely.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Corey and I'm here with Sam. And today we are talking with Darren Etier and Garth Coyle from Event Espresso and Event Smart. And we're going to be talking about some of the technical issues that you face when running a SaaS in the context of WordPress. How are you doing today, guys? 
Yeah, pleasure. Um, I actually was excited to learn about, I've, I've known about Event Espresso for a while, but it was only uh, when talking with Darren that found out that you guys are running Event Smart using some of the same technology, which is very cool uh, and very relevant to some of the, the tech decisions that I think both Sam and I have been looking into. So uh, if you would, why don't uh, one of you give us the sort of two-minute rundown of what Event Espresso and Event Smart are? Okay. So uh, we can start off with Event Espresso. So Event Espresso is our WordPress plugin that specializes in online event registration and ticketing. So you're talking about registration forms, ticket capacity, uh, printable tickets, scanning tickets, um, you know, contacting attendees, emailing attendees, uh, things of that nature. It's all about that, that event management uh, within a WordPress context. Um, so that's Event Espresso. And we've uh, launched, uh, a little over two years ago, we launched a SaaS product that we called Event Smart, eventsmart.com. So Event Smart is essentially the same Event Espresso technology. Um, running in a WordPress multi-site uh, platform, um, you know, powering uh, events on a single, you know, platform with an infrastructure as compared to individual self, self-hosted websites. Um, so Event Espresso is for those who are using WordPress, have a WordPress website, want to maintain and work on that. Whereas Event Smart is essentially, you know, sign on, create an account, create your events, publish, sell tickets, you know, get paid directly, um, it's really, you know, just more economical uh, time-wise and uh, less technical for those who don't want to handle a, a website. So that's what we do with EventSmart. Nice. And uh, and since we're, we are the utmost professionals around here, I should have asked this first. Uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and tell us uh, what, what your roles are there? So I'm, a, I'm one of the co-founders of Event Espresso and EventSmart. Um, I focus mostly on, I'm more of a non-technical uh, co-founder in the sense that I focus mostly on processes, planning, marketing, and sales, you know, kind of the human resources, finance side of things. Um, that's where I spend most of my time. Hey, um, I'm Darren, and uh, I've been doing web development for going on about 18 years now, full-time the last five or six years. Um, I started with WordPress way back in WordPress 1.5, Billy Strayhorn, I think was it called. So I've been around the WordPress world for a while, seen a lot of changes. Um, I've been working on the Event Expresso team for about five years. Um, so pretty much corresponds with going full time. Very fortunate to jump on board the team. And my current role at uh, Event Expresso is, I, I don't know, it's kind of hard to describe. I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, kind of like the cat in the hat. You know, like I'm good at creating problems, but uh, hopefully I'm also good at solving some of those problems as well. So that's kind of my rule. <laughs> Not many people nice. can can uh, describe themselves as the cat in the hat of the of the the team. The what would it be? <laughs> Let's see. So you've got CEO, CTO. So cat in the hat. C I T H O. Uh-oh. Cool. All right. Well, let's dive in a little bit. So let's let's start with talking about the plugin. Um, you, you're on, currently on version 4, um, and 
it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, version four is a complete rewrite and it might not even be backwards compatible with version three. So first, is that is that correct? Is that little summary correct? Yeah, uh, for the most part. I mean, uh, version four, we launched, uh, that's going on three, four years now ago, third. Um, yeah, so it's not backwards compatible. In other words, somebody can't just, you know, run uh, all their EE3 events with the version 4. However, uh, with the latest version of EE3, at the time of launch, we did build a migration. So people were able to migrate their EE3 events into uh, the new version. So in that sense, um, we didn't leave our users hanging for the most part. Gotcha, gotcha. And so you said that that was three or four years ago that you launched EE4? Yep. But you still have EE3 on the website. So yeah. uh, let's first, is is there like a, a sunset date or are you like supporting that indefinitely? And how did you make that decision? Well, a large part of the decision was based on, um, um, as part of launching the new core plugin, obviously we wanted to ship it out as soon as we could and as soon as we thought it was stable. But we have a large uh, stable of, of add-ons for EE3 users that weren't fully compatible with EE4 yet, and we hadn't built replacements for them. So over the last three, four years, we've been, you know, catching up with the add-ons and the functionality that our EE3 users were used to. And uh, we really didn't want to retire EE3 until we felt EE4 was uh, a, just a drop-in replacement for the majority of our users. We're getting fairly close to that. Um, although EE3 is, is still available, we consider a legacy product. Um, we only do bug fixes on it now. We've communicated that clearly with our um, users. And that by bug fixes, I mean like uh, security issues and that kind of thing. Right. Um, right. So it, it is on its way to a sunset. We haven't set a hard date um, just because we, we, we want to be really comfortable when we do set that hard date that um, the, the remaining users we still have on EE3 will be able to transition painlessly and we're pretty close to that eh, Garth, i think so anything yeah. you want to add to that or yeah i think in the next year or two we're going to be able to set more of an expectation of when we're going to end support for that but it's not anytime soon just because we find that you know it uh it's still needed we still have thousands of customers on the event espresso 3 so we're going to still support it for some time uh, right. but really it came down to feature parity to not boot it out the door immediately yeah yeah, I think a lot of developers deal with the, the problem of legacy code and whether they should just build on to their existing plugin and try and refactor, or should they just release an entirely new plugin with a new code base that kind of drops a lot of the legacy problems. So how did you guys approach that, and what what was the deciding factor in saying, okay, we, we just got to rewrite this. It's going to take a long time to you know, make our old add-ons compatible with the new code base, but it's it's worth it at this point. <clears throat> well, I think, you know, from a developer standpoint, um, I came on the team just shortly after development of EE4 had started. And at the time, it was actually called EE 3.2. So it was initially going to be something that was just going to be, a you know, a few fixes in the EE3 code base. Um, and at that time, our lead developer had just started working through that and um, it's just gradually recognizing that a lot of the future sets that were being requested and some of the plans that the founders had for the future in terms of doing a SaaS platform and that kind of thing, 
Um, just in evaluating the technical debt that was there in EE3 and recognizing that, hey, if we want to build some of this stuff, we're going to need to move forward with a new code base that's a little bit structured better. I mean, EE3 is primarily procedurally based code. And so we really built EE4 with modern, more modern technologies and approaches in, in doing object-oriented design and, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and even yeah. EE4 on, it, in its, in its, on its own has um, gone through a number of mini, mini refactors through the years as well, which always happens, right? Right, uh, right. That's primarily the decision that kind of led into that factor is, is it was really prompted by a large part by users wanting improvements to the existing EE3 add-ons and that and um, new features that have been in the pipes for a while and re realizing that, hey, if we're going to do this, we need to improve the framework which we're building this stuff. Um, and it's worked really well because we're able to more rapidly iterate, even though from a user standpoint, it's still fairly slow. From a developer standpoint, it's like, you know, going night and day between, it was always kind of a contest to who would be tackling an issue in EE3. No, you do it. No, you do it. You know, it, it's, yeah. uh, it worked really, and I got to say this though, it's amazing because EE3, even though, you know, from a developer standpoint, looking at it and saying, oh, this is ugly code, there's always going to be ugly code. And the fact is, it still did incredibly well in serving right, and right. meeting customers' needs for the life that it has. So, you know, kudos to those who worked on it initially and in getting it out the door. That reminds yeah. me of that, the quote that they <clears throat> show on post status. Code is poetry. Probably not your code, but somebody's code is poetry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Pretty much so, it. yeah. yeah. Um, was, so So let's transition a little bit here to uh, the topic of the day, which is SaaS. Um, was part of the, again, technical decision to upgrade or to, to revamp the code all the way down to the, the studs, so to speak. Um, also, uh, in, in thinking about the future and kind of future-proofing for uh, a switch to SaaS, or being able to reuse some of that code in, in a SaaS context? Yeah, the, a lot of the, there are several factors that went into rewriting Event Espresso 3 to Event Espresso 4, just, uh, but the SaaS platform had always been in, in our view for a couple of years. And so that was one of the major factors. You know, is this something that we want to build on into the future with a SaaS platform? And the developers who were coming on board as part of the team really didn't want to use Event Espresso 3, nor was it built in such a way that it was going to be um, scalable. So in some ways, our hand was forced to say, you know, if we want to do something different and great with this, then it needs to be a little more different and it needs to be better. Uh, so the SaaS product was always in view of influencing that decision. Makes sense. Um, and and when, when did you expand into SaaS or, or start that process? Um, we launched it publicly in January of, well, I think it was, I think our goal was December 31st of 2014. And I think we technically hit that date. I think we, we you know, lifted the curtain on, on the 31st. So uh, it's been operating publicly since January, essentially January 1st, 2015. Nice. Um, and it took us, I mean, it took us probably six months to set up where to get to that point to set up uh, some infrastructure, some initial features and management, and um, you know the the purchase project process, the user management, 
but then when you take into account that we had to rewrite our plugin, you know, it took us it took us you know almost three years to get to the point of launching um, a SaaS uh, service that uh, we were comfortable with it working, you know, meeting a certain cu customer's needs, and uh, you know, getting it started. It's not perfect by any means, but you know, we we definitely believe in the philosophy to ship it often rather than hold it back until we're guessing when it's perfect. Sure. And do you, <clears throat> thinking back, um, obviously there, there, there's the beginning of the thinking and then there's the, the actual planning and all that before launch. Um, do you have any recollection of kind of what, what was the inspiration? I mean, was it other people doing something similar? Was, was it just simply, you know, SAS is what everybody's talking about? Do you, you know, what, what was yeah. kind of the thinking that went into it? Um, before I ever officially joined with, with, uh, my co-founder, Seth, I, he was, you know, building this, <clears throat> our legacy product and he even called it something else. It was like advanced event registration with, with PayPal IPN or something like that. <laughs> very developed, titled very much like a developer would, you know, uh, it's almost a readme file. <clears throat> but, um, I told him, I said, from a marketability standpoint, you've got to provide ways for customers to be able to, uh, as quickly and as fit as fast as possible, sell their tickets. And that included being able to get their, their ticket sales process off of their, off of their website. It could be WordPress. This was back in 2009 or something. And so I don't know what version of WordPress that was, and I don't know what, um, percent of the web was powered by WordPress at the time, but I think it was sub sub 20%. It might have been around 15. So you've got a lot of, it really it started off with an impetus of um, facilitating success for our customers, making sure that they could um, use whatever technology to post their tickets and, and sell them um, without any uh, inhibitions with the technology they're using. So were, were people asking for it? I mean, uh-uh. No, they, they weren't. They weren't asking for it. It was because the only people that you had using it at the beginning, at that time, back in 2008, 2009, were only those who were using WordPress. So they were pretty happy with it. But I was telling, telling Seth, I said, in order to make this really something bigger and significant, you've got to get away from that percentage that is only using WordPress. And I think eventually when I came on board, I mean, this had been something that had been in the back of Garth and Seth's mind for a while. They knew they eventually wanted to move towards a SaaS platform. I think, Garth, you made that clear. Even when we started development on EE4, like, think, we're going to be using this eventually, guys, for multi-site. So let's make sure you're developing in ways that will work well with that. But one of the things we started coming, seeing coming in from our users of Eden Expresso was people who had no clue what WordPress was. Sure. Right? Like, sure. They, they just discovered that they needed a solution for event management. They came across our plugin to a Google search, whatever, found out about, oh, it runs on WordPress. In fact, we had one support customer come in. You know, one of the support queries was, where's the exec file? Where do I, where do I double click <laughs> the EXG file, you know, to install this on Windows? <laughs> like, oh, okay, right. But, you know, you have this reality of users who, who have no idea really what WordPress is and that this was a plugin for WordPress and I need to install it. And so you recognize, hey, there's a need for this, right? There's a need to remove this whole hosting equation, setting up plugins, all that out of the equation. Like Garth said, opening it up to a wider subset of people who 
you know, don't know anything about WordPress, just need a solution for their events. Yeah, we, we eventually, I mean, we do have people all the time say, hey, will you build this for Joomla? Will you build this for Drupal? Um, they have some solutions out there, but that's just, you know, very different than, uh, you know, that would be a whole different business unit to try to build for a different platform. Let alone, is it advantageous for us? I don't know. We just haven't gone there. So we, <clears throat> as the user base grew, we started to get more requests for people to make it um, platform specific. But instead, we said, well, let's make it more platform agnostic um, so that now people can use the SaaS platform on those other technologies as well. Instead of, you know, instead of going more platform specific, we broadened it. Um, yeah, that makes total sense. And it's interesting to think about it that way. We as WordPress insiders, uh, WordPress developers often think about what can I do with my WordPress website as opposed to arguably the vast majority of WordPress users don't think about you know, everything in the context of WordPress, especially when it comes down to business needs or, you know, just something that they want to get done. Um, so, so very good on you guys for, for recognizing that and saying, let's go, let's go broader with this. Um, yeah, I think a lot of, just to kind of summarize that too, I think a lot of, a lot of us will have a tendency to, to think that our problem has to be solved in a very specific way when it usually doesn't, you know, you can, you can use, what doesn't seem to be a perfect solution for quite a long period of time and realize, hey, this is great. Otherwise, we'd have to throw a whole lot of money and effort into making it the perfect solution, but this other solution is working fine right now. And that's also support, what, supported by the rise of SaaS platforms and that it's not everything everybody always needs, but it's going to serve a lot of people, uh, you know, 80% of the time, you know, to better than it would if they had to build it themselves or had to have a more expensive, even more niche uh, product. For sure. Right. So <clears throat> you decided that you, you're building this platform so that people don't have to worry about, you know, managing their own WordPress site anymore. And that allows you to kind of create a, a more customized admin experience for them. So how, how much work was it to build that admin experience compared to what you thought it was going to be. So in other words, how, how much extra effort did you have to expend beyond just building the new plugin in order to create this SaaS platform around the plugin? So Darren, can I answer that one too? Because this is, this is one that I find interesting. So <clears throat> this goes to exactly the comment that I made, made just a minute ago in that people often think that they need to have something different because they're somehow different. Be and your question shows the fact that you feel like we had to do that, but we didn't have to, and we didn't. So you look at the interface for EventSmart, it's the same as Event Espresso, mm -hmm. okay? And we even had a competitor who signed up for our website and said, for our website, not even knowing that it was our, our system, they signed up for EventSmart and said, oh, we were just signing up to see what it was like. We didn't even know it was you guys, but they signed up and essentially see the WordPress interface. Which, if, if uh, you know, apparently you find that not satisfactory because apparently you felt like it needed to be customized. And, <laughs> and, and thus, um, other people think that as well. But we've been successful so far not having to customize it. And the other advance, 
advantage to doing that so far is that instead of building an interface that we assume somebody in a SaaS model is going to need or want, we can now uh, do user testing and iterate upon that instead of guessing. We, we, we can know, we can understand what they need, what feedback they need. So <clears throat> granted, we have people sign up and say, oh, this, this is like WordPress. I don't want to use WordPress. And so they don't. But we have thousands of people who have signed up and it hasn't been a problem. So first, we have to challenge the assumption that you had and others have had that because we're, we're focusing on a SaaS market, that it has to be so different. It doesn't have to be. That, that's an assumption. And we've proven it to ourselves that it hasn't had to be. Not to mean that a custom UI won't be better because we think it will. And we're making improvements that way. Darren's actually working on some of that as well. So, you know, we've learned... Well, we again, it gets back to the theory of that we're going to ship often and ship early rather than hold it back and guess at what people need. So we went with the with the standard interface to get it out to, out to the door, begin growing our user base, begin collecting, um, you know, learnings on what works for people and what doesn't. And then we iterate from there. Yeah, I think I think that's a valuable lesson. And uh, it's it's good to hear that people are still able to use WordPress, even if it is in the SaaS context. Um, well, obviously, uh, I, I could just add a couple of things. Obviously, sure, sure. there's, you know, there are times where you want to make sure that the user interface you have is, is friendly to people. WordPress has proven itself pretty much with the admin interface. I mean, obviously, there's some movements to improving that. Right now, the, you know, the, one of the focuses this year is on improving the editor and stuff like that. But um, like Gar said, um, what we have works we don't want to guess at what users want. We're just going to iterate on that and um, get something out there. And and so fortunately, because we designed the plugin, we did. We didn't really have to do any changes to the core plugin, uh, critical changes, um, in order to have it work on SaaS. We would just mm -hmm. put it up there and focus on the SaaS aspect of things itself, rather than making our plugin fit right, mm -hmm. which uh, which is important. So. So then. Where, where have users, you said you're, you're starting to work on a new user interface or at least components uh, to help users along. Where have users had the most trouble with the standard WordPress infor the, the standard WordPress interface where you feel like you have to fill in the gaps? Sam just can't believe that the WordPress admin <laughs> is okay. <laughs> well, yeah, so... Uh, like I said, I I understand your opinion that like how could you be using the WordPress interface? But you know this is we're, we're shipping early, we're shipping often, we're iterating upon that as opposed to as opposed to guessing. But I will say that there are definitely some some improvements that need to be to be made. So the real challenge that we found when using the WordPress interface usually has to do with configuration configuring options um, because when you look at the WordPress menu, there are a lot of menu items. Like, where do I change this? Where do I change that? Where do I change this? And we have people using our platform from everything from like health screenings to, you know, fairs and conferences. And so the user's expectation is very different in when they come to it, right? You know, their perception is put upon the interface and how, how do I plan for that? Mm -hmm. um, so usually when they're actually creating their events, we've done a really good job at making that pretty clear. Uh, and they seem to be okay there. It's usually comes into 
um, I'm getting an error message of this type when I'm trying to submit a payment. So you know, now we have to go and help them make sure that their API credentials were correct. Or I want the front end to look a little bit different, right? They're, they're wanting buttons to look different or be in a different position and that type of thing. So it's usually these concerns that are have to do with setup and configuration. So gotcha. our plan uh, is what we've discussed is to essentially bring bring some sort of of a you know um, a wizard or something to the beginning and say what type of events are you configuring, and then we'll step you through a, a couple of processes to make sure that it's set up for your perception. Yeah, for your context. So, you know, if you have somebody who's going to be doing a conference event, for example, you know, based on what we've learned from people using Event Expressor for conferences, we're able to present them with a series of steps that will fit them in making their, you know, setting up their event for a conference. Because right now the interface is the same no matter what event you're running, right? So, you know, people have to kind of figure out, okay, well, how am I going to make this fit what I'm doing um, for my event? Whereas if we're able to take away some of that initial frustration in figuring that out and saying, okay, I want a conference of breakout sessions and some speakers, you know, and some sponsors, um, we're able to present an interface that's more tailored to what the person who is creating the event for. Um, yep. And that, that has a lot of great potential there. Yeah, that makes sense. And that makes total sense. I mean, you're following one of the, the cardinal rules of, of – you know, lean startups and SaaS uh, best practices and all that of doing doing what your customers tell you rather than than making it up, which is great. Um, so, um, so what have been what have been some of the challenges uh, in in you reusing the tech, um, but then also growing this growing this platform? Um. So basically, some of the big challenges we had. Um, is that you know designing for a single site WordPress distributed product is is radically different from something that you're hosting yourself where you're going to potentially have thousands, tens of thousands of sites, right? Um, and so obviously the first challenge is making sure that the whatever you're using as your key plugin or your key product in a WordPress environment is something that's going to scale well in a multi-site environment. Um, and one of the things we discovered that was kind of a big surprise to us was uh, something that, I, you know, I just never would have thought of. I knew WP Cron, you know, that the scheduling service that would, API that WordPress provides is, is a great little tool to use without even thinking sometime. You know, you schedule, you know, uh, something to fire off once a day or something, and it'll take care of running that task for you. It's a great tool. However, a multi-site, it really does not scale well. Hmm. Um, and we used WPCron um, intentionally in a number of different areas for managing in behind the scenes processes that would happen for Event Expresso, including our messenger system, which would send out the registration confirmation emails and all that. And actually, we did a rewrite of our messaging system to use this because we thought it would be less resource intensive for our users. But when we launched it on multi-site, everything's slowed down to a crawl, and it was incredible. We were going, oh, no, what happened? And it turned out because every site is, is spawning WP cron jobs, and then our host at the time, they have a special process that will visit, find the sites that have a schedule to run, and then ping that site so it, it runs it a little bit more efficiently. But basically, we discovered right away that WP cron wouldn't work. So um, one of the biggest challenges has been finding a solution for scaling. And in that case, we realized that, okay, we have to design certain 
parts of our plugin so that it may use something like WP Cron or an API within WordPress that works really well in single site. You know, people can get away with the great, but can be swapped out for more um, um, like multi-site or, or, or sites that are more intensive in, in the number of hits and traffic they get and stuff. So we did that with the messenger system. I'm just giving you a practical example where we, great. we can great. swap it out with um, something called Gearman. And I, we use actually WP Gears plugin by 10up. Um, which will have a long-running um, set of workers that are running in the server, and uh, you just assign jobs, and the workers will pick up a job. So it's kind of kind of going towards a microservice architecture for some of the stuff that runs, um, and eventually we can even put that on its own server, so there's no interruption for say users. So it's little things like that. You know, if you're if you're a developer primarily working in this you know, a WordPress world with single sites and stuff, and you're thinking about doing a SaaS platform on WordPress, using WordPress, um, you don't, you might not be aware of those kind of things initially, right? Um, and that's part of the learning process for us. Um, yeah, so that was one big one that hit us. Um, another one is uh, making sure you're cash friendly. I mean, that goes without saying, even with single sites, you want to be cash friendly. Um, we found a multi-site that one of the things we were doing and the environment we were in is that we were loading certain things for Event Expresso where we shouldn't be loading it. Every plugin developer does that sometimes, right? Never. And, never. Yeah, never. <laughs> and so it's just one of those simple things we realized that, hey, well, like, for example, you know, sometimes with e-commerce, we think, let's use the PHP session. We'll just set up PHP session and that will remember all the user details and, you know, we can have the cart attached to that and everything. Well, um, it doesn't really work well with caching, especially when you start to scale, right? You have to start thinking about, okay, if you're going to have multiple web servers, you know, how are you going to handle the session between those web servers? How are you going to handle caching on pages which really don't need the PHP session? Um, so we had to work around things like that. Um, things like using query strings in your URL, you know, sometimes you think it's just a quick hack to throw something in a query string, listen for that query string, and do something with it. Well, that doesn't cache well. Hmm. So, um, you know, those are all little things that, you know, an experienced developer will really pick up. Um, but sometimes if you're, you know, only used to working with single side and just doing a plugin on the side or something like that, you won't, you won't know until you start diving into the big world of SaaS and multi-site and all that stuff. So little things like that. Um, another thing is um, sometimes you don't think of is using WP Mail um, as your mail server, right? Um, it, it tends to be very reliable if the mail setup on the server is really reliable. And if you're in control of your own hosting environment, you can do that. But again, as you start going to multi-site, um, we found that you, know, you wanna make sure that people's mail is getting delivered um, so you want to make sure that, you know, things like uh, your DKIM and SPF is all set up properly. We found using a transactional email service, offloading that is a huge help. And mm -hmm. so we built that into our SaaS platform and offer that for our users. But then, of course, the challenge is, okay, what do you deal with people? How about people who, you know, find loopholes in your product and they used that to send a bunch of spam messages, right? <laughs> sure. And we had that happen. We yeah. had that happen where Mandrill, our transactional email provider, they actually shut us down because somebody discovered a loophole in one of the subsites. And all of a sudden, you know, we discovered that none of your emails were going out. And um, we had to find that loophole and close it pretty fast. 
Yeah, that that actually brings up uh, another question, which is when you're hosting this this SaaS multi-site, is there like that's one issue that wouldn't arise if someone's just using a plugin version. Are there some other like hosting centric issues like, you know, someone abusing your transactional email or someone abusing your storage capacity or, you know, trying to hack into other parts of the multi-site? Yeah, you know, one of the things that we decided when we started um, thinking about SaaS was, you know, it, it kind of seems stupid now, but in hindsight, it was a good decision. We decided to host this thing ourselves and build it on using DigitalOcean. We threw up some servers, um, you know, had a couple of database servers, one web server, uh, uh, a, um, uh, shoot, anyways, load, load balancer, you know, in front of things. And it was stupid because none of us on the team were really strong system and men guys. We were kind of learning on the fly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Primarily me, cat and the hat guy, all right? <laughs> learning on the fly. Um, but it was a good decision in the sense that we wanted to get out right away. We didn't, we, and we learned so much by doing it that when it came time to making the decision, you know what, we're, not, we're spending more time in the server end of things than actually developing the product. We were equipped with the understanding and knowledge and the things we had learned to evaluate a partner who would partner with us for hosting. And we, so we eventually, I think it was a year ago, year and a half ago, we, we partnered with Pagely and Pagely actually does all our hosting for us. But yeah, like you, you, when you're doing it yourself, you, you, there, there's so many things you have to think of in terms of what you're leaving yourself open to, especially if you're running something like, you know, DigitalOcean or Linode or something like that, where you're running your own boxes or even Amazon. Right, right. You know, you're responsible for all the security, your permissions on your files, your users, who you have to give access to the files, who deploys, are they, you know, keeping their passwords up to date, that kind of thing, using secure passwords, you know, not one, two, three, all that thing, SSH, all that stuff, <laughs> you know. So it depends on, you know, who the team is when you're thinking about starting SaaS. I guess I would say, you know, if, you, if you've got uh, the willingness to learn and you're able to learn, go for it. Do the hosting yourself initially. Get started on it. You know, test your idea. Um, you'll learn a bunch, right? Mm -hmm. And it and will help you make a wise decision when you do go to find a partner because you'll know the questions to ask or you'll understand what they're saying to you. <laughs> right. And, and you'll have a bit of an idea of, of, of what it is you're looking for. And the, the best part now is, like, I really truly feel that Pagely are our partners. Like, when we have an issue, they'll jump in and say, oh, it looks like this. And I'm able to, you know, kind of log in the terminal and say, oh, yeah, I can see that. Even though sometimes I don't entirely know what they're saying, I could kind of fudge my way based on the experience I've had with hosting, right? And uh, that certainly helps when you're encountering issues and you need to deal with them and get them done fast and, and communicate the language that the host is communicating. Yeah, so, some other quick examples is we had... <clears throat> After we went from hosting it ourselves to trying to find another another host, we went to a, a pretty expensive host. And one of the technical problems we had was uh, their firewall, so their WAF. They were basically throwing us on the same application firewall as you know a bunch of other users, and we found that our application was not working correctly because of their firewall. Hmm. And so they said, "Okay, well, if we're gonna, you'll need a custom firewall application." Okay, well that's three grand a month, Oof. right? So, <laughs> so we're like wait a minute, that's not gonna work. This thing isn't even making any money yet. And uh, so we're like, this, this, just, this just doesn't feel like the right approach. Mm -hmm. So 
that's when we, you know, started talking about, we started saying, well, this, this is partly an application with, this is a problem with WordPress. These people don't actually understand WordPress as much. And we came to come to find out that that, that expensive host that we were working with was actually the infrastructure for Pagely at one time, who Pagely was then moving away from onto Amazon. <laughs> so we, we kind of followed the trail of breadcrumbs and said, ah, so it looks like Pagely probably has some more experience here with, you know, SaaS platforms or, or you know, high volume WordPress websites, you know, and then manage them, you know, with Amazon Web Services. Yeah, they've been coming up a lot as a, a SaaS hosting partner. So uh, it seems like if you're if you're thinking about moving an existing plugin to SaaS or starting a WordPress-based SaaS, they're a they're a good option. Yeah, they're they're a good option. And we're pushing the envelope in a lot of things with them right now. So you can thank us for breaking their stuff. <laughs> nice. So basically, we yeah. call up and we say we want the event of espresso package. <laughs> And they, and they hang up quickly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what, what's been really interesting about this conversation is uh, we started, you know, started the conversation talking about how you started with a plugin. Um, you moved the plugin over to SaaS and immediately it sounds like had to start accommodating for a number of scenarios and things that, you know, uh, went obviously much deeper than than a wordpress plugin um and uh and a lot of hard lessons learned it sounds like uh as one might expect is there are there any good examples of tech that you've had to figure out for the SaaS that then you've been able to roll back into the plugin so that um even even those folks hosting their own can benefit oh yeah sure um yeah, one of the things is, like I said, when we had to do the whole um, deal with the WP Cron issue, um, one area that's affected our, our core plugin development is we've been very careful about what we add for scheduling because we know that there's a number of you know bigger users of the core plugin outside the SaaS platform. They're likely going to encounter some of the similar things we encountered. And, and part of that is, you know... Um, it's, it's we've started to think in terms of um, modularity. In other words, building things that so that different APIs, different things we're using can be swapped out. So if there's somebody really wanting to customize Event Expresso systems for their own needs in their own environment, um, that they're able to do that, like swapping out, you know, sending messages to WP Mail instead use something totally different. Swapping out some of the processing of things in the background using WP cron scheduling and callback into something totally different. So um, we, we've tried to think through some of that in in the different mini factors that we've done. And also, there's just been little things that have popped up in the event. One of the really cool things about SaaS, and this has probably come up before as well, is, is it's an incredible learning platform for your product. I mean. When you get feedback from support forms from your, you know, your distributed product, often it's it's from the frustration of people, you know, trying to use it, not doing what they want, and you spend a lot of your time just trying to recreate that environment, right? <laughs> to get to find out what exactly it is they're doing that causes it to break. Sure. And sure. sometimes finding out it's user error. But was an event smart when we have users expressing frustration with something, we're able to go right on that site, see exactly what it is reproduce what they're doing, 
um, get immediate feedback based on what they're experiencing. And we're able to take that and apply that to a core product based on what we learned, right? So there's been a lot of little small improvements um, that have impacted, in, including things such as in the event smart environment, somebody can't just install a plugin to do what they want. Um, and so obviously there's some, you know, user um, uh, improvements that are done there by us to make it easier for people to do things they want. Like even just, you know, um, changing the order of, of how things display on, uh, on uh, the list of events where, you know, they may have the uh, description located a certain way and then, you know, something just different layouts structure. Well, we've been able to take that. We knew we had to design that for event smart, so it'd be easier for people to change layouts. And we roll that into a core product, of course, because everything just goes into core product. And so now our distributed users have an easier way to affect the layout rather than right, using right. filters or stuff like that. So it's a bunch of little improvements like that that have helped, I think, with Event Smart. Um, and the, the learning feedback loop is the biggest thing. Interesting. There's uh, another example of that is actually the reverse direction. And that's <clears throat> you can use WordPress and activate a plugin to turn on a certain feature. But in a SaaS environment, if you don't allow plugins to be installed and activated, then you need to have that feature pre-installed and pre-activated, you know, network activated. But at the same time, you got to have a toggle in order to activate or deactivate that that feature. But you know, on a WordPress website, you just deactivate the plugin or activate the plugin. Right. Yeah, that speaks to one of the technical challenges we had. Like we have our whole whole stable of of add-ons for Event Special. And we're continually adding to that. And so even before we had this SaaS platform, one of the things that we intentionally designed into a core plugin was an easy way, not only for ourselves, but other developers to create add-ons that basically register themselves and have a set of you know configuration options in that. Um, and so everything goes into what we call our e-plugin API. And the benefit to that is now we can network activate all these add-ons on our platform, but programmatically deactivate them by just deregistering this one call. So we're able to, you know, because our, our event smart platform is very feature-based, in other words, that's how you get your, your you, we get the income as people want a feature and they upgrade. We're able to just control that through capabilities. So mm -hmm. they purchase, we have a capability for a user on a site. Um, and um, we have a set role for that, and um, and it really works well. We don't have to worry about And it's important because, uh, remember, I, I don't think I mentioned this. Another challenge we have is the custom tables. The Event Espresso adds, I think, somewhere north of 10 custom tables, um, which is needed. A lot of people would say, you haven't got many custom tables? Come on. <laughs> well, you obviously haven't done many e-commerce apps. I mean, you have to make sure you're doing your queries in a performant way. And sometimes the most performant way is to have really well-designed tables. Well-designed being the keyword. Sure. But anyways, so one of the challenges is obviously as you start scaling and you get thousands of you know, these sites, it's all in one database. And if you have to migrate, change something in a table, which hopefully you don't want to do too often, you have to have a way of managing that, right? Um, so we actually have a really powerful migration tool. But the reason why I mentioned that is because with our add-on API, the add-ons actually register any, if they have a custom table or if there's any migration steps they need to do, they register that with the core plugin. So the core plugin takes care of all that. And then 
And because it's feature-based, we don't turn off the actual add-on feature capability until after that registration routine. So if there's still migrations that need to happen or whatever, it happens in the background on that user's database, which is important because you don't want the user to be experiencing you know, any downtime when they activate a feature or when they deactivate a feature or when they lose access to that feature. You don't want any data loss to happen. Is that So right, it, right. it's all still there. All we're controlling really easily programmatically is the access. Um, so those are the kind of things you have to think of, especially if you're a plugin that you're going to use in a SaaS platform has add-ons, or you think down the road you're going to add extra functionality. It's always good to have core, have a way for that add-on to register itself with your core plugin um, and control it more easily that way. Yeah. So we're actually closing in on an hour, but I want to <laughs> ask uh, one more question before we turn you guys loose, if that's all right. Um, you guys have given a, a great description of the, the technical uh, difficulties and technical uh, problems that need to be addressed in running a multi-site based SaaS. But you also just brought up your your plugin mo or your add-on model. And um, I, I want to ask you about pricing real quick before we go. So in both the plugin and the SaaS uh, uh, versions, you have a free tier and then you have, uh, well, for the SaaS, you have a couple of paid tiers, tiers plus um, individual add-on modules. So my question is, how do you decide what is free and how do you decide uh, what, the, what functionality the tiers have compared to what functionality is just an additional add-on? So uh, the short answer to your question is essentially based upon the customer persona or the type of customer that's going to be using that type of a feature. So like with EventSmart, we have a, we have a bundled personal, personal plan, which is essentially most of the features that a small event organizer is going to need for the most part. And then we have the business plan, which is essentially all of our features, ex excluding some gateway integrations, because they're going to need most of those features, you know, ticket scanning, mobile apps, uh, tracking attendance, you know, customizing emails for each for each event essentially. So, we design these bundles, these bundled plans, essentially what we call them, for the type of user. Um, and those bundled plans are essentially a convenient way to get them to subscribe to more features and save some money. Mm -hmm. But we also have these what we call a la carte features that they can purchase, so that so that we can easily meet their needs. Because you'll get people who say, well. I don't want everything that's in the personal plan. I only want one or two things, you know. So instead of instead of paying fifty dollars a month, they want to pay you know fifteen dollars a month, and that meets their needs. And so as a business, we generally try to be amicable to that. Uh, not to say that it doesn't add some consternation and confusion to people when they're trying to purchase. They're like I don't know what plan I need. I don't know what features I need. You know, uh, and we work through that with them. But we're really trying to be amicable to people say, well, if you only need these features, then you only pay for those features. But if you're going to buy several features, then it might be just economical and easier for you to buy one of the bundled plans. Yeah. Um, so it's more of a theory about how we work with customers and meet their needs. Yeah. Well, my next my follow up question was going to be, is there some confusion in the sign up process and mm -hmm. is there ever any pressure 
uh, like internal pressure to say, okay, let's just roll all these add-ons into the, you know, the, the business tier and just leave it at that so that it's very clear what you're getting. Well, there is. I mean, we've had those discussions and we will have those discussions again. And this is a matter of learning. Um, our pricing structure is not complete. It's not done. We found that we're, we're learning what problems it creates, but we also know that uh, from our, actually from our experience of Event Espresso 3, where we bundled everything in together at the same time, that created other problems. It, you ship all the code that they need, you've given them all the prices, and if you bundle it all together, then you don't know what drives value for people. Mm -hmm. You don't know what they're willing to pay for. Right. But when you keep it separate, you see, oh, people are subscribing to Stripe, people are subscribing to custom tickets, people are subscribing to the mobile apps. And you begin to understand as your business, well, what is driving subscriptions? What's driving value? Yeah. But when you throw it all together, it may simplify, simplify, the, simplify the process, but it also makes the your business decision and what you learn about your business cloudy. So at this point, we're, we're trying to, we're at that point where we're still trying to understand exactly what people need. And then you know, we will change prices in the future, I'm sure, the packages. I would like to. Personally, it kind of frustrates me. But I understand from a business owner that it's more valuable for me to understand what drives value from our business than it is to just simplify the, the purchase process. And that's, yeah. you know, that's my perspective. Well, gentlemen, thank you. This has been absolutely amazing. Uh, like I said at the, well, I said uh, before we started recording. Normally, we keep these to about half an hour, but it's been a pleasure getting you talking and letting you talk because it's yeah. <laughs> it's been extremely valuable. Um, we uh, we we usually like to end with, I guess, one last question. And um, what do you see for the future? Are there any uh, big changes on the horizon? Uh, and and what are you seeing, um, maybe even in the con larger context of uh, WordPress and SaaS? Um, for me, I just think this year is going to be kind of a pivotal year for WordPress in general. I think the change of direction that Matt is giving and stepping in in the project lead role again and, you know, kind of switching up the whole release process is really going to, it's, it's going to be one of those defining years in the sense it's either going to work or it's not going to work, you know, kind of thing. And we're not going to know until it's all done, said and done. So that's interesting. On the side of Event Smart and Event Expresso, the big changes that we're anticipating this year are some, you know, we're kind of focusing more on our core product, which is going to impact our, our SaaS platform as well. But um, we're really working hard on on improving our user interface a bit more, um, incorporating JavaScript a bit more. Um, so I'm, you know, working with a little bit with Vue and Vue.js and, and we're building a framework using that. So it's kind of exciting. You know, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that probably won't see the light of day for a while yet, but uh, we're looking forward to some great changes. Nice. Yeah. I don't have much to add other than, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It came down in a day, but, <laughs> we're trying to build some. We're trying to build some really great things, and it's just, it takes a long time. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, the the people in the WordPress community that you look up to, they're not overnight successes. You know, they it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort, and uh, it just takes a lot of determination to try to stick it out. So, in some ways, I hope things don't change because, yeah, we'll be we'll probably be more concerned than it would be, you know, excited about it. Sure. Well, and, and the famous saying in the music industry goes, you know, it took 10 years to become an overnight sensation. So yeah. 
It's uh, it's it's. This is why, in part, I wanted to have these behind-the-scenes conversations because uh, a lot of the time we don't, yeah, we don't recognize, you know, the long, slow climb that it that it takes to to blow up overnight, quote unquote. Yeah, and if I was to refer you to one one uh, one document that I think is helpful for for SaaS owners is it's called the slow death long, ramp of SaaS. Long slow long, ramp of oh no now I can't say it. But yeah, the woman from yeah. Constant Contact. Yeah, if you haven't if you haven't watched her presentation, it's kind of a must because it'll give you somewhat of an expectation about how things go. And theirs is different in the sense that they were venture funded. You know, if you're going to, with WordPress and SaaS, you're probably going to be bootstrapped. So, you know, multiply their the ramp out by, you know, another 10 years. But right. <clears throat> that's what I would refer you to to give you an expectation of, and what it's like to operate a SaaS platform. Very good. Well, on that note, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And if, if anyone wants to find you, where should they find you? Are you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, at Nered, my first name backwards. <laughs> and I'm at Garth Coyle, just my first and last name. Awesome. And everybody should check out uh, both Event Espresso as a WordPress plugin and then eventsmart.com for all of your event ticketing needs. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That was another episode of The Matt Report. I hope you learned something. I hope you got something out of it. It means a lot when somebody actually learns something from the conversations that I have here. Either personal gains or business gains, whatever it might be. Just learning your way in the crazy world of WordPress. That's why I do it. I couldn't do it without my audience. I couldn't do it without my sponsors as well. So please go ahead and thank the sponsors. Use the services uh, that I've mentioned in these episodes. I really vet them and make sure that they're only putting out good products with great support and they really care about the WordPress community. That's why I've chosen them. So it means a lot if you go ahead on Twitter and tell them that you heard them on the Matt Report podcast. As always, mattreport.com slash subscribe to join the mailing list. It's the number one way to stay connected. I send private videos there to my newsletter. It's really becoming much more than just a boring old newsletter. So I hope I can see you over there. And the best thing that you can do for the show is head on over to iTunes, search for WordPress podcast, leave me a five-star review. If you enjoy the episode, I'd really appreciate it. We'll see you in the next episode.